Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Made by Podster. In 1998, German police were confronted with the most brutal crime scene in the country since the Second World War. Today, I'm going to talk about a crime that took place in a tunnel in Frankfurt. But before I start, I want to mention that in this episode, I'm talking about the murder of a child. So if that's not for you, I would recommend that you switch off the podcast now. But if you're still planning on listening... I'd like to welcome you to this episode of On The Trail. My name is Ali, and today I'm going to tell you about the murder of Tristan Brubach. Tristan Brubach was born on the 3rd of October, 1984, in Frankfurt, Germany. Tristan had a rather sad childhood, and actually quite a miserable life in general. He was the only child of his parents, Bernd and Iris, and the family was in dire straits. His parents worked various low-paid part-time jobs and lived in a deprived neighbourhood in Frankfurt. Tristan's mother, Iris, had suffered from years of substance abuse and various mental health problems. And in 1995, she tragically committed suicide, leaving Tristan with his father. At the same time as his mother's death, Tristan changed schools. But he was bullied there, even though he tried his best to fit in. He took up smoking in an attempt to impress the popular kids, but it didn't help and Tristan was ridiculed and sometimes physically beaten or abused in one way or another. At home, Tristan apparently didn't talk much about his problems, because Tristan's father, Bernd, had had to work extra after Tristan's mum died. Tristan was often left on his own. At one point, Bernd's mother, Tristan's grandmother, moved in with the family, but Tristan didn't like this change and spent even less time at home. He would pass the time wandering around aimlessly and avoiding going home. Many pet owners who lived in the neighbourhood have said that Tristan was very fond of animals and that he would always come and pet the dogs being walked. Tristan himself had a pet rabbit, which was very important to him and which he played with when he was at home. As many other boys his age, Tristan also liked to play games on his PlayStation. And this and playing with the rabbit were the only things he'd like to do at home. Tristan's relationship with his father was distant, 
mainly because his father worked a lot and was often away at night. His father has described Tristan as a smart and responsible boy who was kind and gentle with everyone and never wanted to upset others or cause trouble. It's heartbreaking to think that a child would rather spend his days wandering aimlessly than come home. And it says a lot about how unhappy Tristan must have been at home. In March 1998, Tristan was 13 years old and the Easter holidays had just begun. Tristan's father had left for his morning shift at a bakery at 4.30am, so Tristan woke up alone. He then called his father and asked if he could stay at home because his back was hurting. It's unclear if Tristan was really sick or if he was trying to skip school, but I'll come back to that later in this episode. However, Tristan's father refused, telling him to go to school and if the pain continued, they could go to the doctor later in the day. It could have been that Tristan just wanted to skip school because he lingered with a friend in the park next to the school before finally going to class. Tristan didn't talk about his back pain to anyone until after the lunch break when he told one of the teachers that his back was hurting and that he wanted to go to the doctor to get it checked. Tristan asked the teacher if he could leave early. The teacher was perhaps a little sceptical because she asked where Tristan had hurt his back. If it had been sore since the morning and if his father knew anything about it. Tristan said that he had been climbing a tree the night before and had fallen and hurt his back. The information about the back injury is a bit confusing because according to Tristan's best friend, Boris, Tristan had actually hurt his back because the night before he'd got into a fight with some older boys and they had thrown stones at Tristan. On the other hand, it is not even certain that Tristan's back hurt and if so, whether it was so bad that he had to go to the doctor. For some reason, the teacher did not contact Tristan's father, but let Tristan leave the school after 12.30 in the afternoon. Later, many people wondered why the teacher let Tristan go alone. Perhaps the teacher assumed that Tristan, as an independent and sensible young person, would be able to phone for a doctor's appointment without having to inform his father. After leaving school, Tristan hopped on a bus and travelled to Frankfurt Hochst railway station. At the railway station, Tristan was caught on CCTV cameras. At 13.45, he was in a shop inside the station. The video shows an adult man standing next to Tristan, but police have not been able to establish who this man is, whether he knew Tristan or whether they were travelling together. The footage is too blurred to see the man's face, so it has not been possible to identify him. I assume that they have tried to find this man, or asked him to turn himself in, but it is unlikely that he has done so because his identity remains a mystery. Tristan's best friend Boris saw Tristan at the train station through a bus window. Boris was the same boy that Tristan had played hooky with earlier in the day. Boris told us that he got off the bus because he saw Tristan and tried to run after him, but eventually lost Tristan in the crowd at the railway station and went home. Two other schoolmates of Tristan's said that they also saw Tristan at the station after school, but they had not spoken to him and did not know what he was doing there. 
all of the classmates who saw Tristan said that he was alone, although one classmate said that he thought Tristan seemed to be waiting for someone. He couldn't say exactly what had made him feel this way, but perhaps Tristan had been looking around or walking through the crowd, for example, and seemed like he was looking for someone. Frankfurt Höchst is one of the busiest train stations in the city, so it's not surprising that there are no more reliable eyewitness accounts of Tristan at the station. Many people must have seen him, but not paid much attention to him. Tristan was last seen at just after 1500, when a woman walking her dog came across him in the park next to the station. According to the woman, Tristan was sitting on a bench in a park, and as she walked past with her small dog, Tristan asked if he could pet the dog. The woman allowed him to. He told her that he loved animals, and she got a nice and polite impression of Tristan. When the woman had left, but turned round to look back, she saw that two grown men had sat down on the same bench as Tristan, one to his left and one to his right. The woman could not describe the men very well, but only said that they were older and looked strange. Near Frankfurt Hurst railway station, there is a tunnel that goes under the train tracks and serves mainly as a shortcut. Judging from pictures, many people might be a bit scared to walk through this tunnel as it looks quite scary. The tunnel is not meant for pedestrians, as the Liederbach River runs nearby, but there are usually no more than a few centimetres of water in the tunnel, and in some seasons, the tunnel is completely dry. Police believe that Tristan entered the tunnel via the railway station at the southern end, which was only 100 metres from the park where he was last seen alive. There are a lot of bushes and trees in front of both entrances to the tunnel, so the entrance is not very easy to spot. At around 1600 on the same day, three primary school-aged children on their way to the after-school club decided to take a shortcut through the tunnel. They made a shocking discovery. Tristan's body was lying at the bottom of the tunnel. The children were naturally distraught by their discovery and told the adults as soon as they arrived at the after-school centre. Apparently, they were not taken seriously by the teachers, who only agreed to go down the tunnel half an hour later to see if the body was really there. When a teacher discovered Tristan's body in the tunnel, she immediately returned to her after-school club, called the emergency services and reported it. Police officers arrived at the scene where the body was found at around 1700. Police officers have subsequently said that Tristan died as a result of extremely brutal violence and that the investigation of the crime scene was shocking for all the police officers involved in the case. Police believe that Tristan met his killer at the southern end of the tunnel and was subjected to violence at the entrance. According to police, Tristan was beaten so brutally around the head that he could not be identified by his face. After the attack, the perpetrator strangled Tristan to death and dragged his body into the tunnel. Once inside the tunnel, the perpetrator had cut Tristan's throat. Tristan was probably already dead. The perpetrator had also stabbed him several times, cut off pieces of his legs and buttocks, 
and used a knife on his genitals. No wonder the police described this crime scene as the most brutal in Germany since World War II. The perpetrator had placed the body in the tunnel to make it look like Tristan was sleeping there. The boy had been dressed again, although the perpetrator had probably removed his clothes before the stabbing. Tristan's hoodie had been pulled over his face and one of his shoes had been placed on his hips. Police theorised that the other shoe had fallen off Tristan's foot as he was dragged into the tunnel and that the killer had not wanted or been able to put the shoe back on his foot. One of the investigators' theories is that the perpetrator had left the scene after the crime to look for the shoe near the mouth of the tunnel and then returned to bring the shoe back to the body. Police believe that the offender probably spent more than 20 minutes at the scene. The only physical clues found at the scene were a bloody fingerprint and the knife used in the crime, although this knife was only mentioned in a few sources, so it is not entirely certain whether this knife was actually found at the scene or not. The police have not indicated where the bloody fingerprint was found, whether it was on Tristan's body, on the ground or on the tunnel wall, or perhaps on the knife that may have been left at the crime scene. It is unusual that the perpetrator chose such a central location for the crime. Although the tunnel itself is not visible, it is surrounded by several playgrounds, footpaths, apartment blocks and a busy railway station. Given its central location, just a few people at the scene would have been able to give a fairly good description of the possible perpetrator. At half past three in the afternoon, about half an hour before Tristan's body was found, three teenage boys were entering the tunnel because they wanted to take a shortcut through it. As they emerged from the tunnel, they saw a blonde, thin man in the tunnel who they thought looked strange. The boys stopped at the mouth of the tunnel to watch and it looked as if the man was bent over something. Apparently, the boys stood at the tunnel opening for up to a couple of minutes while they considered whether they dared to enter the tunnel. It's quite incredible that at no point did the man in the tunnel turn round and look at the boys. In the end, the boys decided not to enter the tunnel and walked the longer way to their destination. When they heard about Tristan's murder, they reported their sighting of the man to the police. Although the boys did not recognise the man and had no idea who he was, they felt intimidated by the situation. It was scary, so they did not enter the tunnel. The boys were able to give a pretty good description of the man's appearance, and for a long time, this was the best lead the police had. The police believed that the boys had probably seen the perpetrator with Tristan's body. They said that the man had been bending over someone, and the police believe that someone was Tristan. The officers also got the man's description from a woman who had been in the park at the northern entrance to the tunnel. The woman had seen the man at the entrance to the tunnel roughly around the estimated time of Tristan's murder. The teenage boys and the woman's description of the man were very similar, so the police believe that they saw the same person and that it was Tristan's killer. It is quite unusual that there were no more sightings of the man and that nobody else said they recognise him because the descriptions were very good and very detailed. 
According to eyewitnesses, the man was fair-skinned, very slim, about 175 centimeters tall, and perhaps between 20 and 30 years old. The man had dirty blonde hair, which was either in a ponytail or braided. According to the witnesses, the man was in a bad way and very pale. The most recognizable feature was that both the teenage boys and the woman who saw the man said that he had a large scar on his left lip. Police suspect that this may have been a cleft lip or that the man may have been stabbed in the upper lip at some point and it left a scar. If this man was a regular visitor to either a park near the tunnel or the railway station, you would think that someone would recognize him. As the man's appearance and demeanor was described as being in a bad way, it is possible that he was, for example, a homeless person or a drug user who was hanging around in the park or at the station. However, you would also think that someone would have at least identified the man or been able to tell you something more about him. A sketch of what the man looks like has been made and distributed over the years in Germany to all sorts of media. This sketch is really creepy. Tristan's grandmother and especially Tristan's father were devastated. They organised Tristan's funeral and tried to do everything they could to help the police catch Tristan's killer. The police showed Tristan's father and grandmother the description of the killer, if they recognised him, but neither of them did. The police also prepared a psychological profile of the perpetrator, which they shared with the media and also told Tristan's family. According to the police, the man was probably a loner who had no family or close friends. He was possibly a paedophile and may have committed crimes against children before Tristan's murder, but had not been caught. Police also said it was very possible that the perpetrator knew Tristan or had known him in some way before the crime. Police even find it likely that on the day of his death, Tristan had arranged to meet him in a tunnel or near the station and therefore wanted to be out of school that day. But this doesn't fit with the timeline as Tristan's school day would have ended after 2pm anyway, even if he hadn't been allowed to leave school early. If he had agreed to meet him at the tunnel, park or station after 1500, Tristan would have had plenty of time to get there after the school day was over. On the other hand, it could be that Tristan had just made a general agreement with the man to see him in the area that day. After all, Tristan had been moving around the area first around the railway station and then in the nearby park. According to classmates who had seen him, Tristan had apparently been waiting for someone or looking for someone at the railway station. Tristan was confident and obviously talkative, so he could have easily have struck up a conversation with strangers. Because of the way things were at home, Tristan may have sought approval from other adults and may have been vulnerable to abuse. However, this is just speculation. In April 1998, just days after Tristan's funeral, the police received a call from a man claiming to be Tristan's... Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. 
the nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Killer. The man said he was calling from Frankfurt Hurst Railway Station and wanted to turn himself in. When police asked what the caller looked like, he said he was 1.8 metres tall and had long black hair. The caller ended the call abruptly, saying only, Arrest me. By the time police arrived at the station, the man was gone and police could not find any man matching the description at the station. It is unclear whether the police found CCTV footage of the man or whether they found fingerprints from the phone the man had used to make the call. He had used the station's public payphone to call the police. There has been much speculation about this call since then, and the police have been rather silent about what they believe the call was about. Most people seem to believe that the caller was in fact Tristan's killer, who deliberately chose to give misleading descriptions of himself. Eyewitnesses described the man as being blonde and about six feet tall, while the man who claimed to be Tristan's killer had said on the phone that he was taller and had long black hair. However, there is no evidence that the man on the phone was actually Tristan's killer, and some believe it was a hoax. Perhaps the caller was drunk. In any case, he stretches his words and speaks in a slightly slurred voice. The call has been a complete mystery to investigators and there is still no concrete information on who made the call. A year after Tristan's death, the investigation of the case took a turn that was thought would solve the murder mystery. Less than 30 kilometres from the murder scene, Tristan's school bag, which he had been carrying on the day of his death, was found. The rucksack was found by an employee of the Frankfurt Electricity Company who was carrying out maintenance work in the area. He identified the backpack as Tristan's because the police had issued media releases in the spring with a picture of Tristan's backpack and a request to contact the police if it was found anywhere. When news of the backpack's discovery broke, another person also came forward and said that he had seen the backpack in the area a few months earlier, but hadn't realised at the time that the police were looking for it. In the backpack, police found a few items they didn't think belonged to Tristan. A large blue rubbish bag, and a map of Germany in Czech. The police contacted the police in the Czech Republic, and asked the country's major TV stations for permission to broadcast reports about the backpack and the man seen at the scene of Tristan's murder. Perhaps some checks would be able to identify the man and the case could be solved. However, this was to no avail. A railway line was being built near the place where the rucksack was found and many Czech construction workers were working on the site. It was assumed that the rucksack had been left by one of them. It has not been possible to find any information on this, 
but we assumed that they were questioned. It is possible, and in the eyes of many even likely, that the rucksack had not been left in the area by the killer. It could be that he had left the rucksack somewhere after the murder and someone else had taken it. None of Tristan's personal belongings were found in the backpack, as the boy's killer had scattered Tristan's school books and other items in the backpack in the tunnel where Tristan was found. It is not known why the killer took the empty backpack with him, but it is suspected that he had carried body parts that he had cut off in the backpack. Police have not said whether blood or DNA was found in it. When the police publicised the discovery of the backpack, they were contacted by a woman who had seen a man behaving strangely and confused in the area where the backpack was found and who had said that he had come to Germany from the Czech Republic. Among other things, the man had said that he was a member of the French Foreign Legion. The police contacted the French authorities and somehow got hold of the man's identity. It is not entirely clear how they found out who he was, but the French authorities at least gave him an alibi, saying that he had been in the army at the time of Tristan's murder and that he had been in hospital in France on the day of Tristan's murder. The rucksack, or the people who worked or stayed near it, therefore did not provide any answers to the mystery, although the police had high hopes at the time the rucksack was found. There were few solid leads to Tristan's murder during the first year, although the police carried out a very extensive investigation. After a year of investigation, they were no closer to solving the case. In October 1999, Tristan's grandmother was on her way to visit Tristan's grave, when she noticed something strange and rather disturbing. Someone had torn up all the floral decorations on the grave. Whoever had done this had strewn some plastic next to it and then shoveled clay and other soil from the grave onto the plastic. The person had dug up the grave a little, but hadn't managed to dig down to the coffin. Naturally, Tristan's shocked grandmother reported the matter to the police, who tried to find out how long the grave had been in such a state. They hadn't received any reports before, which suggested that it wasn't very long beforehand that the grave had been tampered with, because someone would have reported it. The police have not received any eyewitness accounts from the cemetery, and no one has been able to identify the person who dug the grave. While it is possible that the person who visited the grave was Tristan's killer, the most common theory is that the grave was visited by another disturbed person. Tristan's murder received a lot of media attention, and it is very possible that someone who heard about the case found out where Tristan's grave was, and for some sick reason, went there to dig it up. In the years following Tristan's death, police worked very hard to catch the boy's killer. They collected fingerprints from men who lived and worked near the railway station, totaling more than 10,000 prints, but none of them matched the bloody fingerprint found at the spot where Tristan's body was found. According to a source, the German police also sent the fingerprint to over 70 countries and asked the police in those countries to compare it with their records, but again, no results were found. Police also sent a picture of the suspect to hospitals, prisons and homeless centres in case anyone could identify the man. As the man might have a cleft lip, police contacted doctors and surgeons specialised in treating cleft lips, but none of them recognised the man in the photo. 
over the years, police have received tens of thousands of tips, all of which they have tried to verify. The police have been amazed that no one has identified the man, despite having such a good and unique description of him, which is why he has been nicknamed the ghost in the media. A few years after Tristan's death, the investigation into the case was closed because no new leads had been found and the police had examined them all. In 2013, a new team started an investigation into the case, but it was closed a year later, as no new investigations or leads were found. Tristan's is a cold case, meaning that it is not under active investigation at the moment, but if new clues are found, it will be reopened. Murder cases never expire, so it is possible that the perpetrator will still be convicted if he's caught. The police still have the bloody fingerprint that was found at the crime scene, and they also have a DNA sample and some other evidence that was also collected at the crime scene. But they haven't said anything more about it publicly. Perhaps developments in DNA technology may one day solve the case. Tristan has no surviving family members. His grandmother died a few years after Tristan, and his father died in 2014 at a relatively young age, having not even reached 60. In 2016, police announced that they were almost certain they knew who had killed Tristan. They had discovered this while investigating a couple of other murder cases in Frankfurt. The man now suspected of Tristan's murder was Manfred Seal. Manfred died in 2014 at the age of 68 from cancer, and his adult daughter was at her father's house going through his belongings when she found a key to a storage building that she didn't know existed. While going through the items in the storage room, she found a barrel with the remains of a human being inside. The shocked daughter naturally reported the discovery to the police, who launched an extensive investigation to find out who the person in the barrel was and how they ended up there. From the outside, Manfred had led a perfectly normal life, had been married to his wife for decades and had at least one grown-up daughter. Manfred's wife had died a few months before him. After the police investigated Manfred's life, they discovered that he had probably committed several brutal murders. The first victims Manfred had killed back in the 1970s, the last probably in 2004. Police are not sure how many victims Manfred had in total, but they are sure there were at least four. Manfred chose sex workers and drug addicts as his victims, but his first victims were his colleagues in a nursing home. It's quite unusual for two people from the same workplace to be murder victims, so it's quite incredible that they couldn't track him down at this point. Manfred was very brutal in his actions. He tortured his victims and removed their body parts. As Manfred had a passion for photography, the police found photographs that he had taken of his victims. He'd also drawn his victims, which made it easy for the police to get an overview of the offences and their brutality. It was later debated how the police had actually linked Manfred to the Tristan case, although the police were initially so confident they had found the perpetrator that they made it public. They soon had to backtrack. In fact, the only link between Manfred and the Tristan case 
was that in both cases, the victims had been cut open and had parts of their bodies removed. Furthermore, Manfred lived in the Frankfurt area and had been living there at the time of Tristan's murder. However, there was nothing else linking Manfred to Tristan's murder. The investigation showed that he had always planned all his actions well in advance and took his time to carry them out. Tristan's murder, on the other hand, was hardly planned, at least not very far in advance, and it was executed quickly, in less than 20 minutes. There was also no evidence to suggest that Manfred had any interest in boys or children at all. Large quantities of all kinds of violent pornographic material were found in his possession, but nothing to do with children. Manfred also did not look like the person seen leaving the scene of Tristan's murder. He was shorter, stockier, and had a large grey beard. Manfred was eventually eliminated from the group of suspects by a fingerprint. The police found Manfred's fingerprint in his home and were therefore able to compare it with the fingerprint found at the scene of Tristan's murder. It is really unusual that the police announced that they had found Tristan's killer before they had even properly investigated whether the two cases had anything in common. Many people in Frankfurt were already rejoicing that Tristan's murder had finally been solved. It was perhaps a bit premature to inform the public about it. Over the years, attempts have been made to link the Tristan murder with other child murders or disappearances in Germany or Frankfurt. One interesting case with similarities to the Tristan murder took place at the beginning of March 1998. In fact, only 19 days earlier. The body of 13-year-old Marcus Wachtel was found in a field on the 10th of March, three days after his parents had reported him missing. Marcus had left home to visit a friend who had lent him a game. Marcus's body was found just 900 metres from his parents' home and investigations revealed that he had been strangled to death and cut into six pieces. The investigation into Marcus's murder got off to a slow start, and before the possible perpetrator was caught, something happened in the case that many believe could link the murder to the Tristan case. Just like in the Tristan case, Marcus's grave was dug up. But unlike Tristan's, in Marcus's case, the grave robber actually managed to dig up the coffin and stole Marcus's head. The police never found out who had violated the sanctity of the grave. A year and a half after Marcus's murder, the police caught the suspect. 19-year-old Alexander, who had known Marcus in some way. The police theorised that Alexander and Marcus had argued over a cigarette and that Alexander had killed Marcus after the argument. After a 56-day trial, Alexander was found guilty of Marcus's murder and received a six-year prison sentence. Alex has always maintained his innocence and even the police have said they are not sure of his guilt. There's very little evidence, and Alexander was convicted on very thin circumstantial evidence. Marcus's murder took place more than 300 kilometres from Tristan's, so the crime scenes are not close to each other, but there are certainly many surprising similarities. 
The murders took place just over two weeks apart and both involved a 13-year-old boy. Both bodies were dismembered post-mortem and both graves were later disturbed. Germany is a large country with a large population, but it's not very often that children are murdered, let alone in such brutal circumstances. And the fact that the graves were robbed and thus that such a similar detail is repeated is a very curious one. In the case of Marcus's murder, it also seems quite extraordinary that if it really was a dispute over tobacco, why on earth would the perpetrator have dismembered the victim? It is perhaps understandable that in a dispute you might accidentally kill someone, but dismembering the victim is quite extreme and in this case also unnecessary, in the sense that no attempt was made to carry the body away or hide it in a place where it should have been dismembered. The police have said that they do not believe the cases are in any way connected, but many outsiders seem to disagree. There are several theories about Tristan's case, and one of the most popular is certainly that Tristan knew his killer. It has been speculated that Tristan, who strolled a lot on his own and spent time at the train station, could have been addicted to drugs. A few sources have mentioned that Tristan had an unusual amount of money on him for his age, and this detail has been linked to the drugs theory. It was suggested that Tristan was acting as a courier for a dealer, and something went wrong and he was killed. However, this theory is contradicted by the fact that the police believe that the motive for the murder was probably sexual and not a spontaneous act. After Tristan's murder, many children and young people at the station and in the nearby parks reported having seen a strange man in the area on several occasions, whose behaviour had been disturbing. Sometimes the man had asked the children to go shopping for him, and sometimes he had promised them gifts. According to the children, the man looked unkempt, and many assumed he was homeless. The man had also been observed at neighbouring schools and kindergartens. Children had told teachers that the man had been watching them from the forest and that they were afraid of him. Unfortunately, the adults had been sceptical of what the children said, believing they were exaggerating or making it up. After Tristan's murder, the man disappeared from the area and was never seen again. This could suggest that the man had something to do with the murder. Personally, I'm perhaps more inclined to believe the theory that Tristan had met his killer earlier and had arranged to meet him at or near the railway station on the day of his death. Tristan spent so much time alone in the open air that he may have met his killer there and got to know him. But the case is yet to be solved. That's all I have this time. My name is Ali Murphy, and this episode was written by Tilda Laksanen and adapted to English by Podster. Thanks for listening. Next time, we'll be on the trail of another case. <laughs>